to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N, Tulsa.org. Well, I uh, sometimes just see things that you think, um, I wonder if that's where God's heart is. And so as we were singing those songs, of course, most of you had to see with, with Vera, um, just dancing. And so just the unashamed enjoyment and sure, the levels of understanding in the words and the depth of that, but, but just to be able to see, um, just the enjoyment. You can see, um, you know, I've always said, I, I wish our, our, we had a little more charismatic worship. And so um, the, the, the packs bring that to us. And so she's just celebrating, just having a blast. And so no shame. But sometimes I know that we've been in places where, you know, even if the kid just steps out of the aisle, you're supposed to like get them back. And it was like, oh man, it's been horrible parents for six months. Uh, their, their child stepped out in the aisle, you know, like we've been around that kind of crowds before to where sometimes I wonder when I see little things like that, like, I wonder if, if the same setting, some of those parables, it was so awkward like that where Jesus would almost probably go out in the middle of the aisle and start spinning around and doing this little silly thing that we would look at as a silly dance, but just in his unashamed, no, this is what we're celebrating. The words are fitting. We're saying rejoice, rejoice. Oh, Emmanuel, God has come. Like, And, and there's one little three-year-old who's, who's maybe embodying that type of rejoicing and enjoyment. And here we're thinking about um, you know, stress of the traffic, stress of the mall, stress of you know, family get-togethers, uh, all those things. We could be thinking through those things. And so what a beautiful gift. Um, and so I hope you were um, enjoying that also. And so um, I feel like that that's when I met Matt, that was what Matt was like at like 18 and 19 and 20. I think he did that a lot. Uh, Owen, of course, offered. We're just enjoying it back there. And Owen said, you know, that was Jackson. You know, that was just, so Jackson's not here. So maybe the same thing. And so that's what we would want to think through. And maybe we are a little too reserved. And I think that what we're going to speak about and hear today um, when we think about the idea of, of Jesus coming to this earth, the reality of that, the, the peace that's offered in that, in the middle of a world that's so broken, maybe that would be more of what we should be like. Maybe maybe we should, and I, I'm, I'm probably the gloomiest in the room. I can always out Eeyore anyone, you know, and so um, my, my even my boys have picked up on it. They start joking, and so Jamie's able to have these jokes with them. If, if I see something and I, I make a comment, they're like, oh, dad, and so... Um, when we look at the world and the brokenness, it's easy to just be a part of that, that gloominess. And so we're going to hit on that. I'm going to bring that up. But that's what we're looking at this week is this idea of um, hope, I mean, peace. Last week we looked at hope, uh, and we looked at, just we started out talking about this morning, um, that we have hope because we see what Jesus did in his first advent. But we can also rejoice in what he is doing as he comes back to get us in his second advent. And so we're in this, this, this place where we're the kingdom of God, but we're, but we're in this world where it doesn't seem like the, the fences and the walls around us are very much like the kingdom. 
You, you, you might have a great quiet time and you go to work and this jerk says something or you get a phone call or you get an email or you get a text or the person in front of you doesn't drive correctly. That's usually the case with me. And so they, and, and like your days ruin. This isn't the kingdom. This isn't how it should be. And so um, we, we get caught up in that and we've got to be reminded that we're awaiting his second coming. So we're in this space between his first advent and his second. And this week we're looking at peace. Um, and, and in the idea from last week, we have to remember the idea of hope is rooted in the reality of what Christ has done. So you can't have hope if it wasn't for what Christ did in a tangible way, becoming um, the sacrifice for the wrath of God for our sins. So hope is not just a, a, a feel-good, you know, cloud, uh, happy, pie-in-the-sky idea. No, hope is rooted in a tangible fact about Jesus First advent, his body, him coming in the flesh and becoming God with us and taking on God's wrath. And so um, we, we looked at the fact that Jesus not only gives us hope, but that God himself is our only hope. Um, and so this week, looking at peace, true soul-satisfying, life-changing peace, culture-altering peace. Eternity-shaping peace is rooted in the vertical peace between God and man. So when you think about peace, I hope that as you leave, the one thing that you would walk away with, when you think about peace, it's not just like, oh, just one of those days where I'm just sitting comfortable and there's no problems. That, that, that is an element of peace. But the, the most important thing that you want to walk away with is peace is actually reconciliation between God and man. And so whether that's... Um, uh, personal strife with other people, the thing we need to get first settled is our relationship with God and man. Um, peace between God, and that's that picture of peace that God gives, that God reconciled us to himself. Um, in the same way last week I asked, what are you placing your hope in? Or what are you looking to to bring hope? This week I would ask you, what are you looking to for peace? And I think it may, maybe this will help. Um, do you realize what you actually look to for peace on a, on a, on a weekly level? You, you may not realize, what am I looking to to find peace? And sometimes, that, sometimes that's, that's busyness. You, you, can't look, you can't wait till Monday because that just gets you busy with the, the minutia of your week because you don't want to deal with this stuff over here. Sometimes it's, it is, it's, it's the things that you go through that, that you do all this stuff Monday through Friday because you're a weekend warrior and like here's where peace is. It's the golf course. It's hunting. It, it's um, just being able to go to the lake and then you, you get there and it doesn't deliver that peace that you thought was going to be there. It could be the vacation that you just always look to. It could be um, just the idea of, of, of everything having no problems. And it's, that's just not a, a reality. We're in a world that's fallen. And so what do you look to for peace? Um, there's not a lot of people right now um, through surveys and books, and books after books after books are, are saying, uh, there's not a lot of people that, that are saying, man, it's a great time of peace and rest in the world, right? And so it's kind of a, a weird scenario. Um, there's lots of books and surveys and questionnaires talking about major depression has increased 33% in the last six to eight years. Major depression. That's, that's not like me just feeling that way. That's like people going and having a doctor, someone with credentials going, like, um, you, these markers are a criterion that say that you probably do have a little bit of depression. Whether that's mild or moderate, there's some depression there. 33% um, increase. Um, 
mental illness growing, interestingly, in, in millennials who were very optimistic, it seemed at first. And so now after this, they've been around for a while now, it's like getting into their mid-30s or close to 40. Like there is some, man, some anxiety and some angst, some depression that they just hadn't experienced earlier on. Um, uh, again, with, with that, and, and also not only millennials, but with Generation Z, they're already seeing high levels of anxiety. Uh, Jamie can tell she, she, there will be certain things in, uh, with, with students that she's working with, and the parents are really concerned. They, they can't figure out, you know, little Billy's always been such a rule keeper and doing well, and it's not now that his behavior is like just blatantly um, rebellious, but something's off and everything, and she'll bring up to him like, I, I think that you're looking at this and this and this. I think he's really, really anxious. And then they're like, oh. And sometimes that's at the core sometimes. And, and it's not it's not producing, um, like I said, just outright rebellion. But there, if you were to get them alone and ask what all is wrong, it takes some time for them to be able to tell, even at young ages. And so um, loneliness, anxiety, depression, uh, fear of the unknown of the future. Um, 21 states saw their, their happiness factor, and they have ways of measuring that, not just, you know, like, did you go to a carnival this weekend? But that 21 states saw their happiness factor decline. So they measure that every year or every five years. And so, um, man, um, for some, these changes in happiness or anxiety may be tied to different factors, a loss of a loved one, um, concern about the changing culture, the changing norms of society, the, the morals of society, but not only just the, the changing norms of society, how fast it happened. Um, I was just reading something yesterday about, so, you know, it's been celebrated this week on one side of our country, um, one side of the, the, the voting about that, that, uh, the, the act of marriage, that, that, that's, that's, that's wide open to whoever you want to love, whoever you would love, that, that's wide open. Um, I didn't realize that it was back in 2012 that our current president, Biden, was at actually a, a multi-million dollar fundraiser, and, and, he, and, they, and it was two guys living together, and they couldn't be married in that state, and I'm not trying to this is not going in a political direction. I'm just letting you know the speed of this. 2012, and he had, they asked, they put him on the spot and asked him, hey, um, so what's your stance? There's two guys here together. You're at the house of these two guys. And you look around, there's multimillionaires. It's a donation thing, so you better answer right. And that was only in 2012 that he said, oh, it's inevitable. Can't everyone just see? Can't everyone see this is the direction that we have to go? It's just, it just matters who you love. So that's a difference, right? That was 2012. That, that's, that's pretty quick because it seems like, like it, it's been accepted in the norm for a long time. And again, I'm not trying to take that into a, a, a political situation, uh, talking bad about our president or, or the other side of that either. What I'm trying to show is that, that, man, there's a lot of people who are affected by that, that, that are going like either celebrating, going, yes, that's right, I felt oppressed, or other people going, this is completely Hor horribly wrong. How did we get this far? And so we've got to understand that the, we have to have a stance on that, a biblical stance. And so that's frustrating. The speed at which our, our, our morals are changing to where things that we would not have guessed had just become so. You like wake up and it's there. I'm concerns about the economy, concerns about global wars and politics and threats and health concerns. Um, I've got this image up here. Some of you, this was my favorite one. When I saw this, I mean, immediately, it's probably humanities in college. So Ed, Edward uh, Monk. And so um, if you remember that word zeitgeist, remember zeitgeist in humanities? It, it, it was a meaning for the spirit of the times. And so this, this uh, portrait, uh, the scream, 
become just one of the most famous and well-known pieces of artwork. I, you, you, I know you'll think I'm crazy because remember, I'm the guy driving, you know, 16, driving a Camaro, listening to Metallica, mullet, long hair, no shirt, driving around Sonic a hundred times. So that guy, but I now listen to classical music um, to get work done. I, I could stare, no, no, no joke, seven days a week, I could, I could stop and pull that out at 9 a.m. and just stare at that and sit for 30 minutes just thinking through. So that's... that's that. They go like, oh my gosh, you need pills, you need medication. But like when I look at that, that's, it's, it's incredible to me. It's one of my favorites. And so what that's showing, what, the reason it became so famous is it's a face of just agonizing anxiety. The colors, the, the way that it's put together, the face, um, all of those things, just the, this display of anxiety and a lack of peace that is missing within the human condition. And so um, it might be fitting as an image for what we're going through at this time um, across the planet. Um, So our question is, how does God speak into a world in a time when many people say there is an absence of peace? Um, Specifically, what does the Advent do in in supposedly bringing peace? in our particular cultural moment, this glo- now it's a global moment. It's just not a, a local community moment, your, your own hometown, but just this idea of what, what is our particular cultural moment have going on? The church has two options. We can either look at all those bad things that I just brought up, and we can kind of either stick our head in the sand and isolate off and just hope it all changes you know, under God's sovereignty, um, or, and we can look at that as an impossibility with all those cultural shifts, and it can anger us, and we can get caught up in all the frustrations, or we can go, hold it, hold it. We understand peace. We've got something that all these people around me don't have. Um, we've got peace between God and man. I've got that for my own soul. And even though these people are far from me, these people around me that have completely differing views on the world and, and marriage and life and identity and sexuality, even though, hey, That's what the Jews and the Gentiles had, completely different views on those things. One of them had God and had God's law and were trying to live and obey that, uh, maybe some some at a weaker level and some at a really good level. And then there was just the Gentile world that was opposed to God, had, had foreign gods, all those things. And so we're in a world in that same situation. So the church has the opportunity to look at it as impossibility or opportunity. And I would suggest that the world that we're looking at right now, 2020, 2025, 2030, 2030, maybe New York, maybe 2035, New York, LA, Chicago, maybe as bad as Ephesus. Maybe as bad as Ephesus. And what did God do? Oh, I've got an answer. I've got hope. I've got peace. I've got joy like Vera spinning around in circle, just, just like almost this childlike face, this beautiful thing. It's okay. And we should be the ones doing that, not, not pulling out our own artillery and fighting like the world fights and getting caught up in all those things and getting distracted, but instead going, no, we, we're the ones with peace. God sent the gospel into all those cities. Corinth, Ephesus, are you kidding me? Um, there wasn't a Tulsa, so the worst they had was Ephesus. The worst they had was Corinth. Um, all those places, Philippi, um, the places that, that the gospel went to, just completely uh, barren. 
of anything of God. And God said, my gospel will overcome that. So we can look at it as an opportunity, a people around us in need. We have the answer. And as things get worse, people are going to begin to find out that even if they're, they're, they've held on to their finances and the, the economy goes bad and we're in this huge recession, and guess what? I've, I've, I'm around some guys who, are, that's after 10 minutes talking, that's what they're thinking about. That's what's pressing them. They're worried. And they have literally 1,000 times more than I have. And they're concerned. I'm like, you have no idea how concerned I am. Like, but, but still, we can have peace in that. And in our particular cultural moment, um, we, we can be a people that bring peace. Um, so let's look at these. I just did a little word study, a sample word study on, on the idea of peace. And so antonyms, or remember the opposites, um, here are some words that, that are opposite of peace. Noise, irritation, anxiety, conflict, agitation, Stress, distress, disturbance. Um, anyone felt that disturbance in life in the last two or three years? Um, any, any irritation, just maybe a, a nagging small irritation. And maybe you're, you're just trying to get along and be peaceful, but it's people behind you. And people just you know, always nagging and nag- about the things that's going on. Um, maybe it's just conflict. Are you agitated about anything? Feel that stress or anxiety? Um, seen complete distress in people around you? Um, or, or maybe we don't like to look at it and we don't like to see how bad things are, the brokenness, so we turn our heads. Um, some people really struggle with being able to look at the brokenness, so what do we try to do? We try to do everything we can to remove ourselves from the brokenness. We don't want to look at how broken it is because would that imply that I have a responsibility as a Christian? And so we also have, sometimes we have a problem not not being able to assess and be self-aware on maybe how anxious or angry or agitated I am. And so we're not even good at assessing that. We, we I am a peaceful person. I am peaceful. I, am pe- I go to church. I'm peaceful. You should just be peaceful. And you're like, man, you seem really angry. And so that's what we're looking like to the world. We're not a people that's, that's a faithful gospel presence of peace. And so um, when we look at those things in our current cultural moment, now here's the thing. There's always been disturbance to peace. There's always been distress and anxiety and depression and conflicts, and wars, and atrocities, and ongoing threats to peace. There has always been hurt, and pain, and suffering in the human condition. So that's nothing new. That's since the fall. But what's different for us now, it's the growing amount of information that we get it so much. We get a sheer volume of information about how bad it is. Whether that's your phone, just ding, bing, the, the new noises that from the little apps that you have, and you look down there, and then, oh, a nuclear threat in, in North Korea. Oh, an earthquake. And so all these things that happen, um, it's not only the sheer amount of information, it's also the velocity, the speed at which we're getting more bad news. So earthquake in Japan, nuclear tests in Korea, tsunami in Indonesia, shooting in a mall, a new virus strain, explosion that kills 100, and beyond all those things that now they pursue you. Remember, it used to be you would sit down with your parents and maybe watch the news at 10 o'clock and you would hear about something that happened. It'd be like five days before you heard about an earthquake in China, right? Like you wouldn't know about that for like five days. Now, 10 seconds, and it's popping up on if you have Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or or any of those things or just your news apps. Um, 
Beyond all those, there's also what's happened in the last few years, this unsettled trust in, in the information that we get. So, ding, you get a Twitter thing, and, and it pops up, and you read it, and immediately, who's writing this? That's ridiculous. That's fake news. That's what, we, we don't have a trust in the credentials of people who are supposed to, supposed to be the ones, the institutions that brought us news. Before, there, there used to be, whether it was schools, education places, um, institutions of uh, education, academics, also news outlets. Now, any Joe Bob can start their own little news thing or some guy sitting at his desk can write. So there's not necessarily those credentials. That, that's created a distrust um, a lack of trust in institutions that we used to look to for peace, a frustration level on what seemed to be truth. Now we have a, a, there's been a lessening in the understanding of what truth is. So in that, uh, they've labeled us since 2016, 2016 um, post-truth was the word of the year. So just think about that. 2016, post-truth is the word that they say, here's our exalted word, post-truth. Who can we trust in? Who has truth? It doesn't matter that they're, they, they've studied for 25 years and, and they're the people that know about the, 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 the medical aspects of this. Uh, I'm not sure that that's true. These people with the weather, these people with, with uh, global warming, these people with politics, these people with economics, I, I, I don't know that I can trust them. And so that's what we've kind of come into. And we don't realize it, it's had a toll on us. Um, a frustration level on the idea of truth, but even more dangerous Everyone has their own truth, and we don't even realize it. At a more dangerous point, now there's not an authority outside of ourselves. So even the church, the authority of God's word has been threatened also. And so all those things would just lead us to this point of, man, we need peace. Do you see that? And so whether you want I just brought up a whole bunch of bad news there. Like, and, and we've just been walking in that maybe with not, without realizing it. It's like you used to sprint the 100 meters in 9.6 seconds, uh, and now you're running it at like, you know, three minutes, and you're like dragging this leg. Like, and people are going, man, you're really injured here, and, and you didn't even know it. Like we're carrying a lot, a lot of that without even realizing it. So um, again, how does God speak and engage in a world in need of peace? The synonyms or similar words of peace, calmness, rest, harmony, bliss, Safe, comfort, content, quietude. And, and without resisting and refusing to look at brokenness. Can you have peace even in the midst of really bad news? Can you have peace even when there's a lot of things that are showing you that it's all getting crazy, it's all going to get bad? Can, can we still be a people that bring peace? And that's what we want to look at in this idea. Um, peace is something our souls desire. And we saw last week Isaiah describe this one whom God was going to provide, this Messiah. And he, he, the words he used was a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Like he wanted, you know, not just one name's good enough. Let, let me give you these pictures that, that should go to the depths of your soul and your heart. Mighty, powerful God, wonderful. So in a good way, counselor who's able to listen and who's able to help me rethink and reorient my thinking. Everlasting, so, so non-changes, everlasting father, that idea of one who would take you in his arms and prince of peace. He says, that's who I want you to know. I'm sending him. Um, 
we could look at our particular cultural moment and see what's been called an age of outrage, and we could accidentally fall into the outrage ourselves. We could see that all that's rapidly changing and hear all the voices using fear to get us to react in their prescribed manner, or we could be a people who offer peace in a world that needs peace. So all these factors, all these situations, the people around you that are not coming to you saying, yeah, I just have no peace. I'm depressed. I'm anxious. I've got all these worries and concerns. I don't trust anything. They're not saying that, but that's what's going on. And so can we be a people that can bring peace to that? So as we go into Genesis, I'm going to start us with the destruction of peace. Let me pray first. Father, um, we thank you that you are peace. That, that peace is not a rule on the side of the wall that you have to look to and be reminded of, and then you're, you're obligated to give it. Peace comes from within you, from the very heart of God. Peace is one of your attributes, and it's a, it's a shareable attribute that you have. But it's not just a shareable attribute that you can give us in the midst of difficult times. We have you as our peace. So would you help us to understand that element first, that the advent of Christ brought peace and reconciliation in a world where each single person's soul was separated from you? Would you help us to understand that? And would you help us to understand how we can be a people of peace since we have that reconciliation with you to those around us? As we go into your word, we pray that you'd help us with that. In your name we pray, amen. So let's look at Genesis 3, uh, the fall, notably where everyone looks to the the fall. And this is the destruction of peace. And so um, in Genesis 3 there, um, it says, and we're going to go verses 8, starting in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? So right there, the presence of the Lord, this idea of God with us. Before the fall, it was God's design and desire. Before Adam and Eve, so there's there's a a Greek word, I always forget it. It it refers to the, the state that Adam and Eve had that you and I and everyone beyond Adam and Eve, like Cain and Abel, Everyone from that point on didn't have this state of being, um, and it's a state of being that only Adam and Eve had before the fall. There's a term for it that described they had the choice to to sin or not to sin, where we sin because we are sinners. So because of Adam and Eve's sin, we have original sin in our blood. That's our nature now. Adam and Eve didn't have that. They had that freedom. So um, that's what was going on. So in that, they're with God, experiencing God to that degree, and then they sin And they don't listen to God's word and notice that change. So you see this destruction in their relationship between them and God where God has to say, where are you? Not, hey, are you hiding behind trees because I'm not smart enough to to figure out? Uh, You're you're smarter than me and you're good at playing peekaboo. Not that, but I would need you to notice you're hiding from me. I need you to notice you know that this sin has put a difference in our relationship. And so that same thing is the very same thing. So you young people, I hope that as we sang that song today, you know, um, I was thinking through um, uh, uh, whether it's these, these guys that are in high school going off to college and, and, and maybe it's you get off track and you get way separated from God from some choices. Maybe it's just laziness and you're not with mom and dad and you decide to go off and you're just not as interested in church. Or some, It's really hard sometimes you get to college and you just can't find a church that really fits and you just can't find the, the, the friend group that you're looking for. And that song that Brad said, man, here's our peace. 
He loves us. He's jealous for me. I hope that when you're sitting there alone and experience loneliness, or, or maybe it is some bad sin that you got into, that you'll just remember that, that just he is jealous for me. He loves us. He shouldn't. He's, he's coming with that warm, wet kiss, embracing me that I didn't deserve. He's pursuing me. And so that's what God's, hey, where are you? That's, that's the same thing that, that he does, the Holy Spirit does with every one of us, when, whether it's little bitty sins and you knew that's it, or whether you've put up some walls and put up some walls and distance and distance, and then that's that, that feeling of, man, there's distance there. I'm separated from God. So notice he does that with them. And then he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. So Adam says this, and I was afraid. So instead of enjoying God, I was afraid of you. Here's God. What, what did I do to make you afraid? What did I do? And so um, I heard the sound of you walking, so I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So you see all this shame. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And I have one slide that's missing here, so just track with me in your, your Bible or your device. The man said, the woman whom you gave me, so is her. He starts blaming and shifting the blame. She's the one. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. So immediately you know, deceived and also pointing the blame, shifting the blame. Then the Lord God said to the, to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I, so again, shifting blame, deceit. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the, dust, and the dust that you shall eat all the days of your life. Do you notice that there is even a breakdown between God and his creation? So when, when we see in Revelation that Jesus is renewing all things, God is renewing all things, the fall and sin brought a breakdown needing peace that was broken, not only between Adam and Eve, but between the animals so before that point, scholars and theologians believe the animals um, were not eating each other. So it wasn't. So it was not a the 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 food chain. So they were being They were surviving without that having to happen. And so they, they'll go to that in Isaiah. We'll see that in Isaiah. But even with this animal, you see that there's a, there's a breakdown. If, and even in those, now obviously this is Satan that he's talking to. But then he says in verse 15, "I will put enmity between you and the woman." And between your offspring and her, talking to Satan specifically, and her offspring. And then he says, he shall bruise your head. So now he's, going, he's referencing, God is referencing to Eve, one that's going to come from you. He, talking about Jesus one day, is going to bruise your head. And you, Satan, shall bruise his heel. That's the first mention of the one who would come in his advent and bring peace. That's called the... Uh, uh, euangelion, um, the, the proto-euangelion is the word there. It's the first time that the gospel, the good news of peace is mentioned in, in the Bible. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, we have the bad news, and then we have the good news the first time that says, you're going to bruise his heel, the cross, and he's going to eventually crush your head. Ultimate um, victory. And so the woman said, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because, because of you. 
Notice that. Cursed is the ground. Because of sin, I'm putting a curse on the planet itself. So it's not just a fall between Adam and Eve. It's not just a fall between a breakdown and peace between God and his creation of animals. It's also his creation of the very nature of the planet. And he says, um, in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall, be, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So when you look at that, notice the, the, the descriptive words there. Um, afraid, naked, hiding, blaming, deceiving, tempting, cursed, enmity, multiplied pain, unsatisfied desires, toil, and then returning to dust. So in that one act, peace was dropped. And so we, we see there, there needs to be this understanding that sin brought destruction on all levels. Sin brought destruction of peace with other human beings. So that's why we have distorted and destructive things, even between a mom and a dad or a parent and their children. That's why we have divorce. That's why we have broken relationships, hurtful, painful situations between brothers and sisters and families. There's also a destruction with, with nature and, and wildlife. Um, like I said there, um, you ever seen those animal attack videos um, where they're just, they're just you know, attacking each other? Um, we know that Adam was up close and, and engaging with animals and naming them and everything. And, and then now what do we know? God says here that there's even a breakdown in the situation between um, the peace between animals. So the fall and sin affected that. Because in Isaiah 11, I think I have the verse up there in Isaiah 11. Look at that. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. There's reasons that there's bars at the zoo, right? Like they don't like, hey, hey, from one to three, your kid gets to go in the gate and play with the lions, right? Uh, I remember our boys were uh, they, we were at one of those zoos, a really nice one. They had the glass, the glass barrier, and it was some sort of monkey. And then there was uh, another one when there was um, some sort of tigers or something like that. And you know, all the kids are making faces and doing stuff and tapping. And I remember one of the monkeys just all of a sudden he'd been sitting there doing silly stuff, and he just goes crazy. And just like jumped at the glass wall because he's smart enough to know. He jumps at the glass. I mean, our boys just uh, scream and, you know, 10 little kids all scream. And so it's just a monkey. And like we're scared of it immediately in, in, in one second. And so there's something about that between um, human beings even and animals. And in this picture in the future, in the new kingdom, the cow and the bear shall graze. And, and not one of them is thinking, hey, here's lunch, Right. And so their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So is that not incredible? Is, is that not peace? Even to the level of Nature and wildlife. Destruction of peace was upon the earth. Um, the earth itself, the way it responds to man's work and labor, planting, harvesting, producing. God said it's, it's even infected by sin. Destruction of peace between the man and God. So we saw all that where, where God's gracious pinnacle of his creation, man and woman, who were supposed to be, you know, they were, they were made in his image. And they were supposed to be created for love and enjoyment and satisfaction and awe. Instead of love, what do they have? Fear. The one who had loved them and been walking in the garden with them, 
Now there's fear from that one. The one who, instead of experiencing enjoyment, they're avoiding. So is that not, haven't we experienced that? Is, well, what do you do when your, your spouse hurts you? What do you do, kids, if your parents get on to you and get, you get in trouble, what do you try? We try to avoid that person who hurt us, right? Instead of enjoying them, we avoid. Instead of soul satisfaction, there's shame. Instead of a sense of awe in God's presence, there is guilt. And so we know that the prophets foretold the coming of God's anointed one who would begin to, to set things right between God and man. Um, and, and not only God and man, but for the whole creation now. We, we've seen that it affects the whole creation. So this Messiah would provide not only peace between God and man, but for all of mankind. So between man and man, and that's what Paul's dealing with in this next section we're going to look at, between Jew and Gentile. There was a confusion when Messiah came because the Israelites had God's word, they had God's laws, they had the old, old covenant. The Gentiles were feared and they were told, stay away. They're unclean, they're pitiful. You separate from them. And now here comes Jesus in the flesh and all of a sudden he's talking this language and talking about this gospel for all people. And we know that there were several places, hundreds of verses in the Old Testament that was showing that God's salvation would come to all peoples, all, all nations, all people groups. And in that, Jesus comes and inaugurates the kingdom on the earth, and he makes it very clear. We know the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. We know that with in, in Acts 1-8 there, when he says, um, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come in power on you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the, the Jews were thinking, how is this going to happen? How are all these Gentile people going to be brought into salvation if they don't have God's law, and they're not keeping God's commands? So let's look at Ephesians 2. I've got uh, these verses up here. This is where um, this is a place that brings us clarity in the New Testament that shows this need for peace and provision. So we see that this this beautiful picture. I purposely I wanted to go to this instead of just going with one of the gospel um, narratives all, all four weeks. Um, you have to kind of get creative when you get to Advent every year, or you can just go through this. Here's Matthew's version of it. Here's Mark's version. Here's Luke's. And so Andy, next week as we get closer to Christmas Day, I wanted to wait for those last couple of um, uh, sermons to be focused specifically on the verses that cover that. But this is the reality of what Christ did in His coming. So after He come, here's what happens in Ephesians 2. Um, this is the bad news, but also the answer to the bad news. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Notice these terms, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so he's speaking there to, in, in Ephesians 2, one of the best places that brings this out, um, this idea, and specifically in this little section of Ephesians 2, he's looking to the Gentiles and speaking to them, saying, you were far off, meaning you didn't have the covenants. The Israelites were close to God because they were my people, and I was their God, and we had all the tabernacles and the temples, and they had the law, and they had the law of God. You didn't have any of that. You were far off. But then he's going to bring out that actually they, even though they had the law, they were still far off if they weren't doing those things out of the right reasons. So um, I started out saying that looking at the, the spirit of the times, what the majority of people are feeling and experiencing, this, this brokenness, this, this depression, this anxiety, and this world that we see is in need of peace. We, we, we see that the first thing that needs to happen, that the most key 
part of that is the reconciliation between God and man. And so Paul goes into that. And uh, as, we, as we look at that, you can see the, the beautiful picture that, of this vertical aspect of peace. The first priority of peace must be seeking reconciliation with God. So when we think of the advent, Jesus coming, and we think of peace, what was the main reason that Jesus came? It was not just to be a good example for us of how to treat people nicer. That's, that's a ripple effect. That's a secondary reason. We should treat people like Jesus treated them. So do unto others, right? But that's a secondary reason. The first thing is that, that we had to have, he had to come and die his death on the cross to bring our reconciliation with God. Um, so we, and Paul says, you were separated. There was this wall, a barrier, a separation that exists between God and man. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. This refers to that the commonwealth of Israel um, is just that, that idea of that national ethnic heritage of people under the covenant agreement that God had made specifically with them. And Paul says, you are not in that in-group. You are not part of Israel. Um, he says, you are strangers to the covenants. Um, what we refer to as the old covenant. So most of us are aware that those confusing lists of rules and regulations and laws and commandments, um, those laws that were laid out in Moses' law, so the Torah, those first five books, specifically Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Um, and how many times have you pulled up one of those pages in your Bible, one of those sections, and you're thinking like, what does this mean? Like in Leviticus, you're like, like, am I supposed to go by that? Like, what does that mean? Why did God have such a strange and a very rigid thing that they're having to do here? And if they didn't obey that exactly to the T, like, they might die. Um, how do we know if that applies to us anymore? Why doesn't that apply? Um, and, and then sometimes it's just like, hey, I'm, I'm sure this, I'm sure glad this doesn't apply because I love bacon. I love uh, pork tenderloin. And so um, how, how many of those rules and regulations are we supposed to be going by now? Well, he tells us here, Christ came to fulfill the intent of those rules and laws to where those, those, those little commands and those little um, aspects of the covenant, which he later refers to as this, uh, the law of the commandments expressed in, brought about by the action of the ordinances. He, he's done away with it. He's abolished it. Not by saying they didn't matter, but by saying he fulfilled the intent of the law. So if it was, you know, spinning around three times to do this, this, this action, and you're like, man, that just seems like, why would God do that? There was this, it was supposed to make you think something about God. To realize something about worship of God was the intent. It had, the action had a, a ripple effect that made you experience God or think of God in a different way. Jesus come and didn't have to do the action. Jesus come and made it to where we don't have to do that action anymore because he fulfilled what was, what was revealed in that, that he lived that out. He perfectly fulfilled the spiritual intent of all of those Levitical laws, all of those societary laws, all those dietary laws. He fulfilled the spiritual intent. That's what it means later on. It says he, he did that in the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. This is what Jesus came to fulfill. Um, all of those things that we look at and go, man, what is that? Um, the Jews went through the motions, but they were, there were some that were not doing it um, in, a, in a true heart of worship. So there were people just like us. So, so we know people show up to church and they, they just show up because they're supposed to. They're, they're not wanting to sing the song. They're just reading. They're probably hoping, man, maybe there'll be a spark, a song that I really like or something. Or he'll say one thing that, that helps me get through work this week. Instead of really thinking through the heart of worship, like, God, I know that I've been distracted. I've had my mind on other things this week. Would you restore and renew my heart? I know I need to repent of some things. I need to confess some things. If we're not having times during the week that we're doing that, and you're not even doing that on Sundays, 
then there's a flat line. I would, I would strongly say you need to consider whether you're truly saved. And so um, in that, if you're coming for the right reasons, like Israelites who, when they did the three times of spinning around, doing the motion, they're doing, the reason I'm doing this, Father, is because I desire salvation from you. I'm doing this because you are worthy of my life. I'm doing these actions because I want to worship you in that. And then there's people who are going through the motions like, I hate this. Uh, this is two hours. We had to drag this animal up here. This is ridiculous. I could be making money off this animal. This is stupid. There were Israelites like that, just like there's people in our culture that go through the motions of church. And, and Paul's going, those people are far off. Um, you weren't in the in-group. You don't know all the rules, and you probably wouldn't be able to keep them even if you were those. And so um, no hope. He says you were without God in the world. Um, no desire for salvation, no desire for repentance, no desire for renewal, no desire for obedience, no desire for Christ's atonement. And so I bring that out in this little section in Ephesians to make you think about that was you. And, and, and this is a difficulty. This is a difficulty, and I want to be careful here. Um, for most of us, so if you were raised in church, and, and so you were raised in church for a while, and you read those things, you may have been in church and kind of went through, and you stayed a pretty good kid and all this stuff, and then at six years old, you were saved, or eight years old, you were saved, um, those things. And so when you read this, that, that section there, um, man, separated from God, alienated from the commonwealth, yeah, I understand I wasn't Jewish, I understand I was stranger of the covenant, but like really, I've been a believer. Sometimes it's hard if you've just grown up in the church, the difficulty is, what we'll want to do sometimes is we want to separate and isolate so much that we don't want to look at the brokenness. I don't know how to deal with people who were broken like that. Andy and I were talking um, right before we started this morning. He was talking about when he was growing up uh, his, his, in the way he dressed and different things, but also that kind of some friends that he had. Um, there's the friends that had, had a little bit longer hair and looked kind of rough, but they weren't really bad kids at all. They just looked a little rougher. Maybe they were just a little bit poor. And parents are just get concerned about that. With our boys, we see the same thing all the time. It's like, hey, who are you going with? Who are you hanging with? What are they doing? There's, there's, here's this one kid that looks a little rougher, but then there's the kid that hangs out with him that's like off the cliff, and you're like, definitely, you cannot go with that kid. You don't want to be around that kid. Like, we know for sure. It's not like we're wondering. We know for sure. And so that happens to where you're, you're looking and going like, hey, what is it? That, that we can do to where we are making sure that we're raising kids that, that want to pursue and love God. At the same time, we don't want them to hate people that are different than them. We don't want them to hate people that, 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 that um, you know, do something that we have said, this is horrible. So if they're working in a store and here comes a person with a different lifestyle thing where they're just like, oh, you're going to hell and I, I can't talk to you. Like that's probably not going to go well, right? How do you teach them to be at peace with God in their reconciliation and their soul, and then to have a heart for this. Because I want us to see this Ephesians passage here can be used for us to understand everyone that you're surrounded by. Um, I, I just paused last night as we're in Glenpool Walmart, and there's rough characters there. And I was sitting there, I was looking around, and I, and I was thinking through, and, and I heard some conversations, different things are going on, three or four little situations I was waiting. And I just thought, everyone right here, this is it. They're separated. There's probably no desire for salvation, no desire for God, no, no, no understanding of the, the Jew and Gentile system. They, they're just separated from God, and we really don't care. If we're not careful, we not only stick our head in the sand, we almost teach ourselves to get further and further from that. Um, so peace with God is reconciliation between God and man. And so as we're in this culture where everything is broken, and people around you, like I said, are feeling those anxieties and depression and frustrations and polarizations, 
What if we were to take this Ephesians passage and, and be able to think through, hey, that's what's going on here. You, you invite someone over to the house, and you're, you're trying to be kind of evangelistic, and you ha- have some people over, and, and then they, they immediately start going, oh, I'm so glad that you know Congress passed this. And you're like, oh my gosh, for three months, we've been praying against Congress passing this thing, and like they're celebrating it. Like, Do you just go, I'm never talking to them again? Maybe you're the only light of the gospel that's been around them in 10 years. That's why they have their views. And we know that's very, very difficult, but that look what Jesus did. He come to the dark world and lived that out to bring us peace. We've got that peace. And to be able to look at the, the advent of that and see that. And so verse 14 says, He himself is our peace, who made us both one. Jews and Gentiles, people who couldn't stand each other. Right now, there's people around you. You can't imagine thinking like them, looking at things the way that they do. And it was even more hostile. We can't even imagine that. And he says, in his flesh, he was dividing the wall of hostility. So what Paul's breaking down here is, hey, the peace that's come between you and God, it's supposed to go out towards other people. You're supposed to be a, a, a conduit, um, disciplers, disciple makers, ambassadors for Christ to those who don't have peace. And so that's why I'm saying in, in this situation, we have a world that screamed to us. All those voices, all that noise, all that anxiety is screaming, saying, we need the peace that you have. It's a great opportunity for the church when it seems like, no, the church is being pushed off in the corner. The church doesn't have a chance. No one's listening more. Everything's, everywhere. in fact, it's even almost illegal to have your stance. That may be the case, but we still have peace and we still have truth and we still have hope. How do you treat people when they're coming to you saying, you're abusive because you have a biblical stance? We continue to have peace with them. We continue to hold truth. We continue to be Christ-like. And so in that, we see at the foot of the cross, God was, uh, God was showing here in Ephesians that Jew and Gentile, both of these are, are separated from God if it wasn't for Christ coming. The people that are around our life in this broken world, in this time of this age of outrage, people need peace, the peace that you and I know about. And so uh, as we go into the new year, I hope that's something that we can begin to um, experience and think through. I've tried to lay some of these uh, verses out to, um, to, to, that you could use evangelistically for you to think through. That's what's going on. These people I disagree with, family members that bring up stuff. That's what this is. Instead of being frustrated about it, man, I can continue to maybe gently speak into their life. Some people aren't going to accept it at all. And you have to just at some point go, man, I, they, they hate me for that. I, I keep trying to gently do that, and, and they're not—they're not accepting it. And, and so I'm going to be peaceful about that, um, and, and I'm still open in the future to them coming talking. But I've tried and tried and tried, and they—they they literally are antagonistically attacking me or me, my family. Then I, we need to be a people of peace and not associate with them. Jesus told his disciples that, and so um, there's a time for that. But uh, we can't do that at the very first, just to say I won't have nothing to do with them. So think through that, what that looks like—the lost world around us. All these problems, all these things going on are showing us. It's just a red flag saying we need the peace of Christ. These people around us that disagree with us, they need the peace of Christ. Uh, The reconciliation between God and man, the vertical aspect, and we're the ambassadors for Christ, taking that peace that we've had to to live in a peaceable way with them. So let me pray as we... um, um, close this part of the uh, section as we go to the Lord's Supper. I'm going to pray over the Lord's Supper. I want you to consider as we go into that, um, are you maybe a person that is walking a lot, around with a lot of anxiety, depression, um, uh, frustration, agitation, and, and, and 
Thank God that he gave us December to go, hey, the advent of peace. I am peace. I bring peace. Jesus is our peace. And so you, you don't have to walk in that frustration. You can, you can embrace this, this peace that he gives and say, God, you are my peace in the middle of this broken world. And so to take some time to think through that and then to think through, are you a person of peace to those people around you? That maybe they are, they're the agitating ones. You truly are trying to be a person of peace and they're agitating, attacking, uh, different, completely different views. And so think through, am I able to take peace to those people? Um, begin to pray for specific people that I could share this piece of the gospel with them. So let me pray as we uh, get ready for the Lord's Supper. Father, we do come to you just confessing to you that we um, often, um, we, we, I feel the agitation. Um, I purposely don't try to participate on some of those platforms and apps and things just because uh, I don't want to fight with the things that they fight with. I know they can be used for good and they're good resources, but are used so often for evil. And um, Father, just uh, us being a true, um, faithful gospel presence instead of a fighting, angry presence, Lord, um, is so difficult to discern between sometimes. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people that, that, that when we see those things, we just see them as reminders and, and warning signs that the world needs this peace. I mean, it's hard, Father, living in this kingdom that seems like everything's set against us. And we pray that you would help us to be a people of peace that love you in the middle of our peace, that see you as our peace, and that are able to share that with others. Um, we pray that you would allow us to experience peace, just the ripple effects of the peace that we have with you. Um, we thank you for that. We pray that you would allow us to um, be representatives of your peace in this, this world that needs it. In your name we pray. Amen. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we have that beautiful reminder every week, and we do it purposely. Um, just like I've said, uh, Advent is a great month for us to kind of pause and slow down and not just think about gifts and, and, and food and, and uh, decorations, but instead to think through Advent. Uh, every year, as we've got more and more into it, I've, uh, December has been a time where I truly, truly, truly have enjoyed God more in, in the season of Advent. Um, and I hope that happens for you. As we go to the Lord's Supper, again, he, he purposed that. I'm going to set this before you every week. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to see that picture of my blood spilled on, in your place. I want you to see that that blood is what purchased that reconciliation. You would have never, ever been able to get it on your own. You had never been able to even die for your own salvation. Your, your, your life was not holy enough for that. So I had to come in the flesh. I had to be God in flesh. When people ask that question, well, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't something else have done that? Why not an animal? Because holiness had to take the place of sin and for that to take the wrath of God. And so that's why Jesus had to come in the flesh and his blood saying, I paid for the wrath of God. His body being broken um, over us. And so we celebrate that every week. If you're a person who's coming saying, you know, I, 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 at points in my life, I thought that that was the case. I thought that I'd understood that. If you need to revisit that, if you're a person who's saying, man, this last week uh, has just been a horrific week of sin for me, uh, maybe you don't partake this week and you say, I just need to go back and, and, and pray thanksgiving and ask forgiveness and confession for that, to come to the Lord and ask him for that forgiveness and, and those things. Confess your sins before him. If you're a person who's never accepted that salvation, we say don't partake of the Lord's Supper, but instead partake of Christ. Talk to someone about what this reconciliation between God and man looks like. Um, and, and all because of this beautiful thing of Advent that we're celebrating. So let me pray over the Lord's Supper. Father, we do thank you for um, 
just your gift of the Lord's Supper and communion. The very word communion. Um, knowing your presence, your spirit is with us. That's peace. Communion with you. You wanted, before we did, to be with us. We're going to be eternally with you in a way that we can't imagine. We just read some of that today. Thank you that you came and you did the work of reconciling us. If we've had a miserable week in sin, God, thank you that you came and did the work of reconciling, that we couldn't make it up to you. Whether our, our good religious acts or our uh, obedience in, in, in different ways could never earn our way back to you, but you did the work of reconciliation. You brought peace between our soul and your holiness. And so we thank you for that. We were reminded of that in the Lord's Supper. And we partake of the beautiful peace that you give and his body broken and his blood spilt in our place. In your name we pray. Amen.